You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Sorry, I might get really distracted by my dog the whole time. Oh, how weird. My dog's here. He's here. He's lying with us on the bed. Is there anything going on? <laughs> Do we have anything to talk about? I literally can't remember if anything is happening right now. We we have a dog. We have a dog, which everybody knows about. WandaVision is crazy. WandaVision is crazy. I have some emotions about that. I have a lot of emotions. Yeah. Oh, Super Bowl, Tom Brady, Goat. And that fucking falcon. <laughs> Sorry. Appropriate, though. I don't get to make a goat sound nearly as often as I want to. <laughs> you done? No. Are you done now? Probably. <laughs> One more for good measure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end up with a weird goat laugh halfway through this. <laughs> I'll blame you, but it'll be my fault. <laughs> so shit, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> Where it is what episode forty two. Forty two. Yes. You go first. I do. I'm Brittany Matrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but first, first, let's talk nerdy. Clank. You got it. I'm doing great. <laughs> I feel like I get it and then I get I get it for like three and then I get lazy and then I fuck up. Alright, what um, the fuck are you talking about today? Today I am talking about uh King Arthur and specifically uh the Once and Future King by T. H. White. I like it. Yeah. Arthurian lore is just the OG soap opera nonsense. It's all fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and it is that good good shit, so you know I love that. We're going to mostly focus on Arthur, just because there's so many fucking knights and we don't need to talk about a pile of knights. I don't really care about most of them. So yeah, uh, probably one of the least surprising things about me is that I dig myths and lore. I love all of that weird, fantastical sort of like kind of history where it's like, ooh, it's sort of history. And it's like, no, it's clearly not. All this shit is clearly fake, but it's fine. I love that shit. That's what I'm here for. You know, it's a time where it's like, oh, magic was real. And it's like, it wasn't, but like, I don't really fucking care. (laughs) Yeah, I like devoured every piece of mythology and legends and shit like that that I could when I was a kid. So obviously, this is very much my jam. So King Arthur was a legendary British leader who, according to medieval histories and romances, led the defense of... Oh, I didn't mention my sources, but it's just like Wikipedia, this fucking book, and also Sparknotes so I could remember this fucking book. <laughs> the problem with Arthurian lore is that there's so fucking much of it, and not all of it is like saying the same thing, so you can't be like, this is the story of Arthur, mm-hmm. because it's like, well... Ugh. And then... Because I'm a big nerd, I've read most of them, but also my memory is, as we have established, a piece of fucking shit. So they're all, like, weirdly overlapped in my head. So, he was a legendary British leader who, according to medieval histories and romances, led the defense of Britain against Saxon invaders in the late 5th and early 6th centuries. Uh, The details of Arthur's story are mainly composed of folklore, literary invention, and modern historians generally agree that he is unhistorical, which is apparently a word. Obviously, he is not real. 
It's fine. Wait, what? He, he's a good king. So just to tell you, there are no good politicians and good people in power. He's it's not real. Which is mostly this book. Not in a bad way. In a good way. You, you're telling me Henry VIII was a bad king? What? <laughs> he's so kind and compassionate. <laughs> um, so the sparse historical background of Arthur is gleaned from various sources, including, uh, oh boy, the Annals Cabrier, Cambrier? Uh, the Historia Britannum and the writings of Gildas. Uh, and this is all like some of it's in the 6th century, some of it's in the 11th and 12th. Like it's all old fucking shit. Um, one of the most famous Welsh poetic references to Arthur comes in a collection of heroic death songs, which is <laughs> what I want my next album to be. That's the genre. <laughs> a collection of heroic death songs. That's fucking sick. Um, known as E. Gododen, or the Gododen. <laughs> oh, thanks. It was attributed to the 6th century poet Anaren, and one of the stanzas praises the bravery of a warrior who slew 300 enemies, but says, despite this, he was no Arthur. And that basically, like, yeah, you killed 300 people, but hmm, you could be cool, but you're not that as cool <laughs> as Arthur. Then, like, that's the only mention of him in this entire poem. It's like, oh, he was no Arthur. And that's, that's it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> the legendary Arthur developed as a figure of international interest, largely through the popularity of uh, Sir Geoffrey of Monmouth's fanciful and imaginative 12th century Historia Regime Britannae, or the History of the Kings of Britain, um, which is a pseudo-historical account of British history. And it was written around 1136. Um, and then they thought it was historical until well into the 16th century. And now it is considered to be not, obviously. Like, mm, you probably oh, should have figured Boleyn this fucking Boleyn shit out. To the 16th century? Yeah. Anne Boleyn believed in this shit. Mm -hmm. She's like, definitely King Arthur. Girl, yes. It's fair. Why not want to believe in good things like this? Right. Um, although the themes, events, and characters of the Arthurian legend varied widely, widely, but also wildly <laughs> from text to text, uh, there is no one canonical version. Jeffrey's version of the events often served as a starting off point for later stories. Jeffrey uh, depicted Arthur as a king of Britain who defeated the Saxons and established a vast empire, and many elements and incidents that are now um, an integral part of Arthurian story appear in Jeffrey's Historia, including his father Uther, Pendragon, um, Merlin, Guinevere, the sword Excalibur, um, his conception at Tintagel, which, and the final battle against Mordred and his final rest at Avalon. In the 12th century, French writer Christian de Troyes began the genre of Arthurian romance, and he was also the one who added Lancelot and the Holy Grail to the story. And, you know, gave the rest of the knights a little bit more life. But I think the only one that he was like, no, I'm adding this one, was Lancelot. Which, okay, fine, whatever. Arthurian literature thrived during the Middle Ages, but waned in the following centuries and experienced a major resurgence during the 19th century. And nowadays, legend still continues to be prominent in books and pretty much every other piece of media. So, 
We're going to talk about the T.H. White version once in Future King. Uh, it was published in 1958. It was based off of the 1485 book uh, Le Mort d'Arthur, which is The Death of Arthur, by Thomas Sir Thomas Mallory. There's a bunch of fucking sirs in this, and like only half of them are like fighting dragons and shit. It was, uh, it collects and revises shorter novels published from 1938 to 1940 with much newer material. So it starts, uh, it's basically a collection of four shorter, like, novella books. And the first one that you get is The Sword in the Stone, which you probably know because it was adapted loosely by Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been a truly million years since I've seen that movie. Yo, me too. Yeah. Like, so fucking yeah. long. Yeah. So. I don't think it's on Disney Plus either. Boo! Lame. Yeah. There's um, also the non-Disney Disney movie, Quest for Camelot. Yes. And A Kid in King Arthur's Court. Remember that? No, I, I don't. I don't think that's a Disney movie. It's actually, that one's based off of an older book than this one. Yeah. Which is a, a Yankee in King Arthur's Court or something like that by Mark Twain. Good old Mark Twain. Good old... Samuel Clemens. <laughs> like, Samuel Clemens is just as good a name, but it's fine. Uh, the Sword and Stone starts out with Wart, who is an orphan boy being raised in a castle by Sir Ector. And the castle is called Castle Sauvage, and it is surrounded by the forest, which has the same name. Alongside Ector's son, Kay, Wart is training as a knight, although he can only rise to be Kay's squire because he is of common birth. You might remember Kay from the fucking movie as being a terrible fucking turd. And he is. He's the worst. Well, he's not the worst. There's so many people who are the worst in this, but he is terrible. One day when they are working in the fields, or one day after working in the fields, Kay and Ward go hawking. They take the hawk, Cully, which I was like, oh, that's cute, from the Muse, which is a room where hawks are kept, which is spelled like the Pokemon, but pluralized. And then they head into the fields, and even though Wart is better at handling Kali because he's not a shithead, Kay is like, no, I'm gonna carry him, and then he's like, I'll release him early in hopes that he'll catch a nearby rabbit, and Kali fucks right the fuck off because he's like, you're a turd. Kali belongs to one of their servants, Hob, and Kay, after losing Kali, angrily states that Hob is only a servant whose feelings are irrelevant, and then he storms off. Like I said, shithead. Uh, Wart, on the other hand, spends the night in the forest trying to find Hop's bird. He ends up falling asleep under the tree where the bird is, and then the next morning he meets Merlin, who is living backwards in time and has a talking owl called Archimedes, and frequently speaks of things that he has seen in the future. And Wart and Merlin find the hawk, and then they return back to Actor's castle, and the wizard becomes the boy's tutor. Which is funny, it's a weird scene because he does some magic and Hector's like, seems fake, fine, you can be his tutor. I'm like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Merlin like basically ignores Kay because he knows Kay is a turd and also he knows that Arthur is going to be important and and Kay is a turd. So (laughs) Kay doesn't get to do any fun adventures. Merlin, however, uh, does turn, so they have like a hot summer day and Wart is like, I wish I was a fish. And Merlin's like, okay, and turns them both into fishes. And they explore around the castle's uh, moat. At the behest of a roach, which is another weaker kind of fish, uh, they visit a family of fish whose matriarch is 
ill and Merlin's like, mm, she's probably faking, but I'll cure her all the same. Whatever. Merlin, who wants Wart to learn about the dangers of absolute monarchy, brings him to the King of the Moat, an enormous pike who is a fucking dick to him and talks about how power and might are the only two important things, and then tries to eat Arthur, who um, Merlin turns back into a kid. And then it's relevant that uh, White, uh, T.H. White, likens the fish uh, with, it's like, he basically is like, he kind of looks like Uncle Sam. (laughs) I'm sure that has nothing to do with anything. And it's just fine. Everything's fine. fine. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Everything's okay. Yeah. He also wrote this shortly. It was shortly after World War II. So there's a lot of that in there. Gross. Yeah. Basically, like, we can't do this again. You guys are stupid. How dare blah, blah, blah. Here's how we are going to learn to not do this again. But also, like hey, the United States, we can't go in this way, which we did, so boo. (laughs) So they have a bunch of, like, lessons like that where it's like, oh, I'll just do something and I want to go have some fun. And then it's like, actually, it's a lesson. Uh, Wart mentions that he wants to be a knight and that he can't because of his birth. And Merlin shows him uh, King Pelinor and some other knight jousting and they're both a having a terrible time of it because they can't see anything. They're wearing so much fucking armor. Nobody can feel anything. And they keep trying to like not run into trees when they're jousting because so much fucking armor. Silly. He's like, basically, look at how this is fucking silly and stupid. Another one, he's placed with the hawks, and he gets to be a hawk overnight and hang out in the mews, as we mentioned earlier. (laughs) And the hawks are a very, like, military society, and they're all, like, for them, what's important is their lineage and ancestry, and they all refer to each other with military titles. And Cully, the hawk who they'd used earlier, who they've always, like, because he's a hawk that's used to hunt... He's basically been driven to, like, psychotic behavior and is very murderous all the time, even when he doesn't need to be. They also do another weird thing with Robin Hood. I know. Question mark. Where did you come from, Robin Hood? Why are you here? Eh, It's a question. You have your own story. You do. (laughs) Um, Which is not super important, but uh, at one point during it, a griffin <laughs> breaks Wart's collarbone, which is the coolest scar you'll ever have. Not him, probably. He'll probably have a bunch of cool scars, but it would be the coolest scar I would ever have. So while Wart is stuck in bed, Merlin sends a spell to his bedroom and lets him turn into an ant. And when he goes to the ant colony, um, there's a sign above the entrance that reads, or everything not forbidden is compulsory. So basically, and also while he's an ant in his head, he can hear repetitive broadcasts that alternate between giving orders and directions and playing soothing, soft, repetting gibberish. It's basically like, you will work all the time, and if you don't work all the time, then why are you here? Then there's no point for you, and we're going to build this into your actual, like, brain and shit. It's America. Weird. What? What? Capitalism? Oh my god, is that it? Is that the lesson we're supposed to learn? I'm so tired. Yes, it is. (laughs) 
he also gets turned into a goose and uh, he flies around with some other geese, stands guard while they, while they eat and he meets a female goose and he's wondering out loud why they're guarding and if they're guarding against other geese, which makes sense from being all of the other animals. And the goose is like, um, no, obviously not. We have a thousand other predators and we have to look out for each other. And also we don't own anything because we're geese. So there isn't anything to fight over. And the geese, their, like, geese society is, they don't believe in, like, property or laws or anything like that. They are geese. Exactly. They're just gonna shit all over everything (laughs) They're just gonna shit everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. Um, And their leaders are selected on the basis of their ability to navigate. So, actually not the worst society. I thought about the fact of geese. I know, me neither. Having a leader. I can only imagine. All I know is they shit all over the place. You know that they have a... When they're flying, they have the front of the point. Maybe yeah, that's the leader. Yeah, I guess that must be it. Mm-hmm. So, blah, blah, blah. They do a bunch of stuff. Uh, at some point, Kay is ready to be knighted. And uh, Sir Ector and his retinue uh, travel to London, where he owns some property. Because, of course, rich people. Gross. As Kay approaches the tournament field, he realizes that he left his sword back at the inn. Which, come on, you fucking goon. Are you kidding me? How do you not... A sword's so heavy, too. Say, how do you not realize? It's, like, the one thing you need. Your armor and your sword. And, like, you have to carry the sword. Uh, yeah, so he's like, um, I don't have a sword. Uh, You go back and get it, Wart, because you are my squire. Which basically means you're my bitch. So Wart is sent back to retrieve it. And he finds the inn is locked. So he ends up finding a sword stuck in an anvil atop a stone in a churchyard. And uh, when he touches the sword, his senses heighten. He's unable to pull it out the first time, but uh, as he tries again, the voices of all of the animals and friends that he has made give him encouragement. I assume this is in his head, uh, and He's remind a him of the lessons. Princess, isn't he right now? He absolutely fucking is. <laughs> That's a fair assessment, Jimmy G. Uh, if only. On the third try, the sword comes loose, and Wart there rushes to K with it. Uh, when Kay learns that Wart pulled it from the anvil, though he knows it is the sword that will determine Uther Pendragon's successor. So he tells Sir Ector that he, p- that he pulled it from the sword because he is a turd. But when Ector is like, okay, we'll do it again. Uh, Kay's like, uh, actually it was Wart. It w- mm, I want to take responsibility, but I can't. Wart is terrified when Sir Actor and Kay bow to him as their king. And as he is crowned king, uh, he's given gifts all over the- from people all over the world, including uh, some of his friends, some of his animal friends and stuff like that. Uh, Sir Actor <laughs> sends him a dunce cap, which I was like, that's rude and also i remember that from the (laughs) and then it turns into fucking merlin and the wizard explains that wart is uther's son and that his real name is arthur and that's the end of the first book so the second book is the queen of air and darkness it starts out with the four orkney boys who later end up being knights who are gawain agravain gaharis and gareth um, they're telling each other stories late at night. They are all the sons of Queen Morgaz, who is a baller, but also gets kind of shit upon in this book. But, I mean, she's not a good person. But you know me, I love an evil witch. 
that's always my favorite character. What do you expect from me? Also, there are so many goddamn kings and queens in this. It's always like, who's... How? Which one am I talking about? Now? Why are there so many kings? I thought that the, the whole thing about being a king is that there is one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's confusing. Yeah, some of them are different lands, and then some of them, I'm like, why is this king also adjacent to this king? Why are you both existing at the same time? <laughs> Isn't that the problem of kings? I guess not. What the fuck ever. So uh, she is much more interested in being a boss-ass witch and not a mother, which is fair, um, and is working on figuring out her magic powers while her husband, King Lot, is away at war with King Arthur. So basically, she if she was a good mother, she'd probably be parenting her kids, but instead she's trying to turn invisible for no reason at all. Except for the fact that it might be fun. I want to turn invisible. I don't want to care for kids. I mean, 1,000%. You know why? Because they're probably so fucking annoying that when they're that fucking annoying, she just mm-hmm. wants to turn invisible so they'll leave her the fuck alone. Honestly, Can just you imagine like, having four boys? No. Oh my god, I want to throw myself off the balcony yeah. thinking about that. It's not only just four boys. Just wait. There's another one in a little bit. We learn while they're like telling stories, her four boys, that Actually, Arthur's father, Uther Pendragon, had raped uh, Morgaz's mother, Igraine, making Morgaz Arthur's half-sister, which no one is yet aware of this except for Merlin, who had forgotten to tell it to Arthur at this point, which is a mistake. Cool. Okay, so back in England, Arthur is uh, standing on the battlements of a castle with Merlin, and he's talking about his victories, and he's all proud. He's brushing his shoulders off. And Merlin scolds him for not knowing how many foot soldiers uh, were killed in battle. Basically, he's like, you know the big people that were killed, but you don't know any of the little people, and you don't care. You are the king. This is your fucking battle. Henry and George and, and fucking... I don't know. Yeah, basically, Anyways. I think Martha... Martha? Martha? <laughs> That's me. I'm Martha. <laughs> um, I think Merlin... <laughs> There was Merlin and Arthur into one is just me, I guess. <laughs> Merlin Arthur? Yeah. I think Martha. basically he's trying to be like, all life is valuable. And like the fact that you know the people who were killed who were like knights, but you are completely unaware of everybody else means you should be paying more attention to whether you should have this fight or not. Yes. You should know how many has perished. Yes. Yeah. Basically... That's why I made the name joke of them all just being named Henry and George. Yeah, not knowing how many foot soldiers were killed in battle. But that's fair. They probably were all named Henry (laughs) and George. (laughs) Actually, this is 5th century. Oh, I don't know what the names were back then, but I'm sure there were only about three. Gawain, Gareth. (laughs) Not Gareth. Gareth. (laughs) (laughs) I got confused. All of the rest of them are Gus something. Yeah, but no, that's like, like you, Gawain, Gaharis, Gareth, Agravain, that's your four fucking sons. <laughs> G's. I'm yeah. call y'all G monies. G money. <laughs> I'll just call you son one, three, five, seven. <laughs> if I ever have multiple kids, I'm, yeah, I'm just naming them numbers. I mean, or you could all name, name them all Brittany. <laughs> just like fucking At least if we're George gonna- <laughs> Foreman. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I did. 
is like ten fucking children too. Ew, it's a lot. Ew, I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. I hate when one kid is a junior. Ew. No. Any anytime you make a junior, you make every person who ever has to deal with your fucking medical paperwork want to murder your entire fucking family. I know because I was that person <laughs> and have done that many times. Not murdered them, but thought about it <laughs> extensively. <laughs> Martha is just a fucking I'm a serial, serial killer, killer of only for juniors. <laughs> Her MO is juniors. I mean, to be fair. If, if, if you're going to murder anyone, it shouldn't be the junior. It should be the parents. Exactly. It would definitely be It's not be their the fault they got named no. junior. You can rename yourself later. Okay. Merlin also tells Arthur that he will have to start basically thinking for himself because Merlin knows soon that he will uh, fall in love with Nimue. Love. And- <laughs> I was literally like staring at Nimue and being like, don't fuck this up. I'm sure I did anyway. And, and then he said, love. <laughs> he will soon fall in love with a girl named Nimue who will uh, use her, uh, use Merlin's own spells to trap him in a cave for several centuries. Why? Why would you do that? I literally don't know. <laughs> I th- it's just one of those things because Ber- Merlin lives backwards. He knows what's going to fucking happen. But you think he would know why she did that? I mean, I'm sure he does. I just don't know it. <laughs> and like, to be fair, I probably do know it because I've read every fucking Arthurian legend. I would say it's probably they fall in love and then she's just either being spiteful or wants his power or something like that. Because most of this stuff was written by men. What? No! Gasp! So he's going to get trapped in the cave, so he won't be able to be around to help. And Arthur is holding this rock in his hands on top of the castle and being like, You know, now that I'm king, I could just drop this rock on somebody's head (laughs) and kill them. And like, no one could fucking do anything about it because I'm the king. And Merlin is like, And then he ends up using the rock and he just knocks Merlin's fucking hat off. It's like, I'm not stressed about this. It's fine. Uh, Later, Merlin argues that fighting is generally wrong, except in cases of self-defense. Kay is skeptical that the aggressor is always so easy to identify, but Merlin stubbornly disagrees. Uh, he tells Arthur that his enemy, King Lot, the aggressor in this case, starts wars as casually <laughs> as if he were fox hunting and has no regard for the common soldier. Okay, but that's one person. Not everything is as black and white. No. It's true. Like, just try to... Some things are very black and white. Be like Hitler. Hitler and Hitler was bad. Yeah. <laughs> Fight Hitler mm-hmm. and Nazis. Punch a Nazi. King Arthur would have punched a Nazi. Not at this age, but give him a couple years. (laughs) Or he might have punched a Nazi at this age, but he probably wouldn't have known. He just drop a rock on his head. (laughs) I could just do that. And like, nobody would be able to do anything about it. It's like... I love it. (laughs) I love so much. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> We've been trying to talk to you about, like, not being a shithead, but I guess we'll... I guess we're going towards the shithead. Oh, no. <laughs> Arthur is still, at this point, being tutored by Merlin, but their relationship has changed uh, because 
instead of seeing Merlin as an almighty sage, Arthur treats him more as a friend throughout the novel. Uh, despite this, Merlin still attempts to teach Arthur how to create a perfect society, quote unquote, out of his uh, newly formed kingdom. Arthur is unimpressed and would rather be off fighting wars than taking care of peasants. Which, like, I get it when you're fucking 19 or whatever you are, but also that's not a society. Yeah, exactly. Have we thought about patriarchies being shitty? (laughs) Have we thought about patriarchies not working? If it's an archie, it's probably not. Oh, no, they're all archies. Uh, so later on, Arthur throws together a meeting with some of his, like, knights and Merlin and shit like that. Basically, he's been thinking about all this fucking shit for a while, and he tells the others that might does not equal right, and that currently knights do whatever they please while the people slaughter, torture, and rape each other. Uh, for example, there are, Arthur says, and he talks about a knight that ends up running around the country and just kills people and carries off maidens for sport. Ugh, exactly. But he says that might can be used to achieve right, um, and he says that he'll use force to put down the Gaelic Rebellion with King Law, and then he'll try to harness this power for good by creating an order of knights that will fight for just causes. There's knights at the round table. Yeah, that's where we're going. (laughs) Literally, Arthur decides that the knights should all sit at a round table. (laughs) So all the, so that each of the places are equal. So Merlin tells Arthur that... Round tables are so much better when there's a big group of people anyways. Oh my god, nobody has to sit in a corner. And no one has to be like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. Yeah, no. It's... You're not like specifically only being able to talk to the like two people next to you. It's so fucking complicated otherwise. Dumb. So Merlin informs Arthur that King uh, Leo de Grants, whose daughter Guinevere... Arthur eventually marries, uh, actually has such a table. Like a big round stone table. Convenient. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he's like, uh, also... He's the fucking king. He couldn't have just had one fucking maid. Literally my thought. Like, okay. And then, but also he's like, um, just remind me to warn you about Guinevere in the future, too. Uh, uh? And Arthur's like, okay, whatever. I've got shit to do. Are you not supposed to tell people about the future? Um, doesn't that create a paradox? It doesn't work in this case, so don't worry about it. The end. Time travel has absolutely no consequences in this. Got you. It's because it's not time travel. Merlin is living backwards. He's Benjamin Button. Yes. (laughs) Kind of. But like interesting and not shitty. Ugh, that movie was so boring. It was so long. It was so long. It was so long. It was every character in it fucking sucked. And I was like, I don't care about you people. I'm sorry that you have a bad life. It was so long. Ugh. And I was like, maybe they'll be able to bring Brad Pitt back to like his fight club hotness. And they were not able to. So sorry, Brad Pitt, if you're a listener. Listener Brad Pitt. <laughs> Listener Brad Pitt. But that was your peacockness, and I stand by it. So, big battle goes down, uh, and Arthur's men are all commanded to fight the knights first instead of the foot soldiers and shit like that. So, basically, go after the people in power and, like, like don't just stab the people who are convenient, easy targets because they're poor and they don't have any actual armor. Rude. So, maybe he did learn something. It takes him a little while. He learns. And then after all this fucking shit goes down, Morgaz and her children and the English knights all make the journey back to England. Basically, in Northumberland, Merlin is like, oh, you know what I forgot to tell 
uh, Arthur. That Morgoth is his half-sister. Oops. But I'm starting to fall asleep in my weird cave, so I guess I can't do anything about it. And then before Merlin can warn Arthur, Morgoth uses some charm and sleeps with him. Shoop! So, nine months later, she gives birth to her fifth son, Mordred. Wait, I'm confused. Okay. There's so many names. Yes. Morgaz is the mother of the The four four, boys. Mm -hmm. Whose half-sister is she? She's Arthur's half-sister. And they have a baby. And they have a baby. Because neither of them knows that the other person Because Merlin fucked up. Because Merlin fucked up. Yes. Okay. Like I said, it is a fucking soap (laughs) opera. So the third book in the book is uh, The Ill-Made Knight which um, is mostly about Sir Lancelot. And in this version of it, Sir Lancelot is ugly and he calls himself the, <laughs> the Chevier Malfette, which is the ill-made knight, which is a terrible shitty thing to tell yourself all the time. Jesus Christ. Basically, as a boy, he was a fan of King Arthur and he trained to be a knight of the round table. And when he arrives and becomes one of King Arthur's knights, he also becomes the king's close friend. Uh, This causes some tension because he's a little bit jealous of Arthur's new wife, Guinevere. Because basically, he wants to spend time with Arthur. She wants to spend time with Arthur. Everybody's... There's some tension, blah, blah, blah. Um, In order to please her husband and deal with all of this fucking shit, Guinevere tries to befriend Lancelot, and eventually the two of them fall in love. And it's awkward, because they all do still like each other, but like... Then just all be together. I was gonna say, this is... Dedicated threesome! Just another fucking fucking sad tragedy that could be fixed by a dedicated threesome. (laughs) Just, it's okay. Yeah. Just, it's just, you all like each other, just like each other. Just like each other. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Don't be fucking dumb. In another one of the books I read, which I'll probably do at one point, um, The Mists of Avalon, which is more from the, like, women's point of view, they do end up having, like, a weird, awkward threesome. Good. Exactly. So, at some point, Lancelot ends up leaving Camelot to aid some people in need. He has a bunch of adventures, and he sends his prisoners back to King Arthur's court, but he sends them to bow before Guinevere instead of King Arthur, which is a thing, I guess. Finally, at the end of his, like, fucking big adventure, he comes to a town where the inhabitants beg him to rescue a young woman named Elaine, who's trapped in a tower. He saves her, and then Elaine and her servants devise a plan, because Lancelot's like, Oh, well, I miss Guinevere, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And they get him drunk, um, and then they trick him into thinking that Guinevere is in the house, and then he wakes up and discovers that he has slept with Elaine. And before this, he had actually never slept with Guinevere or anybody. So he was a virgin because... uh, I feel uncomfortable with this situation. It is very uncomfortable. It is a horrible, horrible situation. And Elaine is a shithead. It's a gross, like... It was rape. That's rape. It's rape. That's rape. And he thought, like, because he was able to do miracles and always believed that that was something that was tied to his virginity, which is why he wasn't sleeping with the woman that he actually loved. 
Yeah, so he's fucking pissed, and then he's frightened at the thought that she might have a baby, so he gets the fuck out of there. And since he'd been keeping himself from Guinevere, he runs back and is like, Welp. I did it, so now it's too late. We'll do that, yeah. For a little while, Arthur is away, and Arthur asks Lancelot to like kind of stay behind and guard his kingdom and his wife. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. And then while he's away, uh, Lancelot and Guinevere have 12 happy months together. And uh, Lancelot tells Guinevere that when he was little, he was like very holy, which we know how that goes, religious, punishing himself for the slightest faults. And um, basically that the reason he stayed away was because he was worried that by sleeping with her, he'd lose his ability to perform miracles. And then he adds that um, it was worth giving her his God-given gifts as a present for her love and that he does not regret it. And then they later discover that Elaine has a baby that she names Galahad, which is actually Lancelot's real name. Another fucking (laughs) G-man. And she brings the baby to court to uh, show Lancelot and spend time together with him. And Guinevere is like, Bitch, didn't you just tell me that you gave up your, like, miracle virginity for me because you love me? I'm not happy about this. And then Lancelot fucking goes mad and runs away from the castle. And, like, goes into the woods to become, like, a fucking crazy person for a couple years. (sighs) So Elaine ends up committing suicide because Lancelot's like, no, I'm not going to go stay with you permanently. Are you fucking kidding me? So the ill-made knight, which is this third book also deals with the quest of the Holy grail, which (laughs) is basically a quest because uh, now that it's more peaceful, the knights are going back to being shitty, especially Morgaz's kids who end up killing somebody because he's sleeping with their mom. So guys deal with the fact that Morgaz fucks. Oh my god. She fucks her half-brother. She fucks a lot of people. That's one of her jams. So Arthur decides to send them out for on a quest for the Grail, but that's not really a specific Arthur story, so who cares? Also, the only Grail that matters is the Grail in Sailor Moon. Also, Guinevere gets kidnapped by some other dude called Sir Meliagrance, who was secretly in love with her also. Ugh, kill me. Lancelot goes after her to save her. Uh, They fuck for the first time in forever. They have a joust for some reason. He doesn't just (laughs) kill this guy. And then after the joust, he cuts this guy's head in half, but it does not tell you which way. Lengthwise? Sidewise? I don't know. I was curious, though. (laughs) So after the incident with Meliagrance, Camelot seems to be at peace again. Lancelot and Guinevere are happy together, and Arthur does his best to ignore the affair. And at one point, uh, Lancelot is able to do one last miracle of like basically laying hands um, in the book, even though he is no longer a virgin. Yay! Happy-ish ending. Just kidding. Not really. It's not the ending. Um, And then the last book (laughs) is called Candle in the Wind. At this point, much time has passed. Mario Speedwagon song. I know, fuck. (laughs) Much time has passed at this point. Uh, Agravane is now 55 years old, fat, and a borderline alcoholic. Agravane, one of the four sons. Okay. The five sons now. Mordred hates Arthur because he believes that Arthur abandoned him to die as an infant and because of a long-running feud with his mother's family. Was Arthur married to Guinevere at that point? 
I just want to know who's committing adultery here. I believe, no, okay. he wasn't. So, so he one of you just a fucking adulterous bitch. Yeah, she commits a bunch of adultery, but, you know, like, how much choice do you get in who you marry if you're, like, just I don't know, Arthur seems really actually nice. Arthur is really actually <laughs> nice. Like, I mean, if you're, like, he's pretty chill. Like, besides that one time when he was like, maybe I'll kill somebody. And he's yeah. like, I guess not. But the fact that you're still alive and he's like, oh, my wife is just having an affair with my best friend. It's fine. I'll just look the other way. If this was he's real a life, dude. you'd be dead. Yeah. He'd kill you and your and his friend. Oh, um. Oh, he does that, No, he? he doesn't. Oh. But we are getting to a point where things are complicated. Oh, okay. And it's in that vague direction. So also, Agravain hates Lancelot because Lancelot has defeated him in a lot of jousts and Agravain is a fucking twat. Who knows? Um, so they decide the best way to get revenge on Arthur and Lancelot is to make Lancelot's affair with Guinevere known to Arthur publicly. He, he knows. Everybody fucking knows. But like, if they are like, hey, here's evidence, then he'd have to prosecute Lancelot under the new system of laws. And that way they would destroy each other. At this point, like, things are starting to be peaceful. Like, they're starting to do more art and people are just starting to be less sick and poor all the time. Like, it's starting to be a good time. And then these two fuck-ups come in and are like, I hate these people for dumb reasons, and I'm going to punish everyone in the entire fucking world for it. Cool. You guys are fucking dumb. The worst. So Lancelot tells Guinevere that Arthur knows all about their affair and will not punish them. Um, and Guinevere is like, you still got to be fucking careful. And uh, they're all fucking troubled because... Lancelot loves Arthur too much to hurt him, but he loves Guinevere. She still loves both of them because Arthur is a solid fucking dude, as we have established, but she is still in love with fucking Lancelot. And poor Arthur gets the short end of the stick in every single fucking aspect here. While they are having like a conversation about this, Arthur steps into the door and hears them talking, and then he quietly disappears and has a page announce his presence so that I'm sure he sat there and listened for a little bit because what kind of a person are you? You're not a saint. <laughs> I would. The least surprising thing in the entire fucking world. Miss reading text messages off. I don't my mean phone. to. It's just there and I read really fast. <laughs> If something's there, you know how I am with license plates. I have to read everything. <sighs> okay, so uh, when Arthur returns, he, Lancelot, and Guinevere have an awkward conversation, actually, about the Orkney family. Um, Arthur tells them that he knows at this point that Mordred is his son. And he tells them, too, that he had heard um, some horrible prophecies about Mordred and tried to kill him back when Arthur was 19. So basically... Mordred is just born as a baby, and Arthur is a baby king, and uh, he ordered all of the babies of a certain age to be put out to sea. Arthur did? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. During his, like, three years where he was just the shittiest king, and then he shaped up. That was probably about the same time that he was like, what if I drop a rock on you this know, guy's head? 19-year-old boys are stupid. Oh my god. Yeah. They don't, real bad. Don't put a fucking crown on a 19-year-old. do it. Jesus Christ. Uh, Arthur regrets his decision now and warns that Mordred is out for revenge and for the throne and that Mordred might try to use Guinevere or Lancelot against them. And also that if they're caught, 
publicly he would be forced to prosecute the offender as the law sees fit because like it's his law he can't be like oh well it doesn't apply to these people because i like them it's like okay cool He's the king, though. He could pardon them. He could pardon them. He just doesn't want to be that kind of a king who's like, my best friends just get pardoned. I would be that kind of a king. But, <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, they're my best friends. You're not. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of us are pulling the sword out of the stone. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> that was the break. Uh, but yeah, so the king leaves to go hunting, and then Lancelot prepares to sneak over to Guinevere's room. And before he can leave, Gareth visits him and is like, um... Shit's going to go down, so uh, maybe don't fucking do that. And Lancelot's like, it's no big deal. It'll be fucking fine. And he leaves for the queen's room without his weapons or armor. And he's like, we'll all laugh about this later. And he's like, you f- you might, but not in a good way. It'll be in a, like, you're crazy and laughing about your sad fucking life way. In Guinevere's room, Lancelot tells uh, her of Gareth's warning and then she's like um you should get the fuck out of here before we're caught you goddamn dummy why would you come here um and then a group of knipes knipes <laughs> which are terrifying and horrible but we don't know what they are so we're just talk about knights today a group of knights attempts to break into Guinevere's room Lancelot manages to kill one of them which was later revealed to be Agravain. So, sorry, I guess he beat you again, Agravain, you <laughs> stupid fucking little bitch. And then he takes Agravain's weapon and armor to defeat the rest. So he literally just cleaves through all of these fucking dudes. And then Mordred escapes to tell Arthur of the Queen's faithlessness, and Lancelot is forced to flee Camelot, but promises to return to rescue Guinevere. Arthur's like, I'm not going to kill my wife. And then he's like, but also these are my laws and everything is dumb. So he's like, but I really hope Lancelot will fucking save her so that I don't have to figure something out for this. Which he does. Why do you make this law? A good question. Especially when you just like, you know, you know, your fucking best friend and wife are boning. Why are we making this law now? The only thing I can think is that somebody on like a council who was pushing something through or like a religious thing i don't fucking know but it doesn't fit in with like the normal arthur thing because it's like lancelot would be i don't know killed and then fucking guinevere is supposed to be burned at the stake for this shit what he's not a burn at the stake person they're the stake i know it's horrible that's like the worst way you can fucking die fucking like having an affair that's the stupidest like burn at the stake is for like you're a nazi and you killed a lot of people that's it that's pretty much it we can burn hitler at the stake but yeah so there she's basically preparing for um execution they post some extra guards um because mordred's like lancelot's gonna fucking come back for her and arthur's like fine i guess Gareth and Gaharis are stationed as extra guards, and just as Guinevere is about to be burned, Lancelot rides in, rescues her, murders all of the fucking guards. Lancelot murders a bunch of people for Guinevere. It's so romantic. And then they flee to France and request forgiveness from the Pope. Where it's granted, which is even more confusing. Um, The Pope in France? I, I, I assume the they flee to France and then they go ask permission from the Pope to be like, I'm sorry, I was 
not a good wife? I don't know. And also... Who, why does the Pope get to say yes or no when King Arthur, who didn't fucking care about this shit, didn't get to say yes or no? Also, the Pope wouldn't say yes. He would not. He is really bad in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah, it's dumb. I blah, blah, religion. blah. And uh, a bunch of dumb shit happens. Lancelot remains in France. Guinevere, I think, becomes a nun at some point. Who cares? Uh, in Camelot, while there, because Arthur goes off to fight Lancelot for like a fucking minute, which is stupid. Mordred. Probably just to go see him. Yeah, probably. How you doing, bro? I'm sad. I miss you. Mm-hmm. And in Camelot, fucking Mordred. Uh, is left to rule in Arthur's stead and he corners Guinevere and is like, um, I'm going to overthrow Arthur and I'm going to take you as a fucking wife as revenge for Arthur sleeping with my mother. And it's like, first of all, your mom slept with Arthur, not the other way around. And secondly, why are you mad about this? Like, it wasn't... You wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. you wouldn't exist... And be, like, revenge for sleeping with your mom? What a fucking stupid when, thing. When, when you were the... You're the result, you're the you stupid turd. Yeah. Oh, like, my God. Like, it's one thing if you're like, boo, you banged my mom when I was already a living being. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, still, let your mom bang people. And then Guinevere is like, okay. And sends a message to Arthur be like, hey, can you come back? Because this is some shit. I need to get out of here. Uh, and then Arthur returns to England to stop Mordred. And on the eve of battle, in a state of semi-consciousness, uh, Arthur remembers Merlin's lessons. At this point, he calls for a page named Thomas Mallory, who is the writer of Le Morte d'Arthur. Thomas is another name that every single person had in the... Oh, yes. <laughs> Throw that fucking shit around like it is... Like... Cheap as shit. I didn't have a ending for that. (laughs) Throw that fucking shit around, period. End of story. Um, (laughs) He calls for the page Thomas Mallory and tells Mallory that he must remember the story of King Arthur, particularly the idea that might must be used for right. He tells the boy that his idea of peace was like a candle in the wind, which he kept alight only with an effort. Arthur asks Mallory to spread Arthur's message of justice and peace, and Mallory agrees to do so, and after Mallory leaves, Arthur begins to cry. He thinks of the lessons he learned from the animals when he was a young boy, and at this point he wakes up with a fresh mind, hopeful for the day when his dream will be fulfilled. He stands up and prepares himself for his final battle. There's a lot of different versions of the Arthurian legend out there, and obviously this is just one. Uh, the ending is left a little ambiguous because either Arthur dies in battle with Mordred or he is taken from battle wounded and sent to Avalon to heal and come back later. But the message that Arthur learns is timeless, that navigating peace is difficult, figuring out what is the right choice can be complicated, but knowing that if you have power, you have a duty to make sure it's used the right way. about knowing that being in power doesn't mean that it's your right to treat others however the fuck you want and that having privilege is a responsibility that you have to take seriously so yeah pretty good i would recommend it and king arthur is a baller dude i would hang out with him
Here at the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, we make every show from the finest ingredients. Juicy interviews, fiery film nights, delicious desert island DVDs. And pack it all into a slice of life in every episode. Order up our specials now from your delivery guys. Shine from Canada. Dan from Kent in the UK. And Paul from near Liverpool in the UK. Here on the ESO Network. The Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Serving you a slice of life. Mmm, mmm. Okay, so I you, today, today am going to talk about Katya Casanova. Oh my god! Oh, is that why you've been watching? No, Watcher? so no, I've been watching her like, The Watcher because yeah. I already watched Futurama like twice, and I watched um, Bob's Burgers. Yep, and it like came on after one of them, so I was like, okay, we can watch. Well, it. I guess this is where we're going next. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Wikipedia, fandom, Archer, those are my my sources. That's pretty sick. <laughs> You know. It's a good list. <laughs> okay, so Archer is an American adult animated sitcom created by Adam Reed for FX. The series follows the exploits of a dysfunctional intelligence agency led by Sterling Archer and seven of his colleagues, his mother Mallory Archer, Lana Kane, Cyril Figgis, Cheryl Tunt, <laughs> or Carol, or... <laughs> Crystal. Crystal. Whatever she decides to go by. Yeah. Um, Charlene. Charlene. <laughs> yes. Pam Poovy, uh, Ray Gillette, and Dr. Elgernock Krieger. The premise of Archer evolves in the comedy's history from the standard setup of a workplace sitcom mocking spy film. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. So so many disasters. So many disasters. <laughs> Reed conceived Archer shortly after the cancellation of his adult swim comedy Frisky Dingo. Oh, um, his experience vacationing in Spain and the influence of media franchises such as James Bond Cute. shaped his vision of the show. Its hallmarks include pop culture references, heavy humor, rapid fire dialogue, and meta comedy. Archer's limited animation style draws visually from mid-century comic art, and actors record their lines individually, and the show um, regularly employs a reoccurring cast of supporting characters. I didn't know Neither that. Neither did I. That's crazy. Yeah. That must be so hard. hard. You can't feed off of no, each other. you have to, like, just feed off of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, at least now there are several seasons in, so you yeah, know you what's know. going on, but, mm-hmm. like, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, since its premiere on September 17th in 2009, it has 118 episodes of the show have aired. New episodes of Archer have been broadcasted on the sibling network of FXX since 2017. (laughs) Season 11 was postponed because of COVID, but even so, Archer was renewed for a 12th season in October 2020. Sick. Archer has received positive reviews from critics and won awards, including three Primetime Emmy Awards and four Critics' Choice Awards. It has also received 15 Annie Award nominations, among others, for Outstanding Achievement in Animation, Writing, Direction, and Voice Acting. It's like, I have no idea what the Annie thing is, but I assume it has something to do with the musical, which it does not, so bad assumptions. 
Archer follows the exploits of eight dysfunctional secret agents and supporting and supporting staff of the International Secret Intelligence Service, ISIS, which in later seasons, <laughs> when they came back to being ISIS, yep. they renamed. They're like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. It, and it's a fictional New York-based intelligence agency. The group consists of Sterling Archer, the show's narcissistic, womanizing protagonist, Mallory Archer, the retired... Oh, my God. ...agent-turned-ISIS director, and Sterling's snarky, emotional, emotionally distant mother, oh. Lana Kane, Sterling's usual love interest and mother of his infant daughter, and by far the most professional field agent and probably... Mm-hmm. the one with the most brains. I will say the one that holds the brain cell. Yep. <laughs> the, the one singular brain cell they yeah. all have. She has it. <laughs> Ray Gillette, the agency's openly gay bomb specialist. Pam Poovey, she's the human head of human resources department. And then Cyril Figgis, the mild-mannered accountant turned agent. Mm. <laughs> Cheryl Tunt, uh, Mallory's delusional psychotic personal assistant, Boy. who is also fucking rich, <laughs> and then Krieger, the bizarre and morally bankrupt scientist with little regard of the well-beings of his test subjects or really anyone around him. Good Lord Krieger. <laughs> Good Lord Krieger. Yes. Good Lord, literally any person on that list. <laughs> they're, they're all fucking mm-hmm. hot messes. Yeah. Um, Mallory is the mother I aspire to be, which is why I'm not going to be a mother. <laughs> oh, she's so good. Mm-hmm. She's uh, Jessica Walters, I think, is the woman who plays her. Um, and she also is literally... Did you ever watch Arrested Development? No. She plays the mom in that of four kids. So whenever I'm thinking about fucking Magneto, where it's like... I love all of my children equally. And then the next scene is, I don't care for Pietro. <laughs> That's literally a scene from fucking Arrested Development. <laughs> but it's just her being that, like, horrifying bitch of a mother. And you're like, yes. <laughs> like, you don't care. And I want that. <laughs> That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, each season has its own unique mythology of events that highlight the group's incompetence. <laughs> where they are forced to undertake a series of strange tasks in highly unusual circumstances. And as I said before, if it can go wrong, it does go wrong. Mm-hmm. The show also features an array of supporting characters, several of whom gained expanded roles in subsequent episodes. And this is where my best babe, though I do love Lana, comes in. Katia Casanova is a former KGB agent who fell in love with Sterling Archer and defected to ISIS. She's 25 years old, 5'6", blonde-haired, green-eyed, Russian bombshell that manages to always keep her snow-white outfit unsoiled. Yeah, immaculate, which I'm mad about now that I think about it, which I've never thought about before until right now. (laughs) If Emma Frost and Natasha Romanoff had a baby, it would be Katia, which is Probably one of the reasons I'm obsessed with that. Absolutely, that's why. (laughs) Katya's initial personality traits appear to have been partially designed to basically be the opposite of Lana Kane. Katya is loyal, committed, soft-spoken, romantic, uh, seductive woman, which... She has tiny, normal-sized hands. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She does, and I bet they're very dainty. They're very dainty. She probably doesn't even need a manicure. Ugh. Bitch. <laughs> Katya even succeeds in getting Sterling Archer interested enough to be in a get married slash a monogamous relationship. 
which is impressive because he is a man whore. Mm -hmm. Then I said, there's nothing wrong with being a man whore, but Sterling Archer is a total douchebag. Yes. (laughs) That's where we're at. You can be a man whore. You can't be a womanizer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sleep with all the people you want, but respect them. Yes, exactly. Um, And then according to... Katya's KGB files, she likes sharpshooting, advanced survival training, snowmobile racing, and she dislikes aristocrats and capitalism. Yes. Girl. Yeah. Right? Oh, no. I didn't realize that she was so fucking... Okay, wow. Yep. Her... And then some of her behavioral tics is she'll lick her lips, and she has her, like, curly fluttering hair with her nice fluttering eyes. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. She's a honeypot. Yes. They essentially made her to look like any bombshell Russian that a mm-hmm. guy would fantasize about. And she also is loosely based off of the fantasy Russian Bond girls, Anya Amasova from The Spy Who Loved Me, and then Tatiana Romanova from Russia from 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 Russia with love. And there was at the first life talk nerdy. <laughs> It makes it hard to say. <laughs> from, from. I love the name Tatiana. It's a good one. Yeah. I like Anya, too. There are a lot of good Russian names. Yeah, Russians have nice names. Female names. Mm-hmm. So she makes her first appearance in the second season, second to last episode, I believe. And it's called White Knights. Sterling Archer is about to be executed by the KGB and Fair. Katya appears, killing all of the KGB agents present. The episode ends with Archer removing his blindfold and bam, he sees this bombshell of a woman who just saved his life. Shaved his life too, possibly. He probably would have been fine with that. <laughs> The season finale of season two, called Double Troubles, um, starts with Katya explaining to Archer that she saved him on the condition that he brings her with him. She <laughs> doesn't want to be part of the KGB anymore and wants him to take her to America. He agrees. It's cold obviously. there. It is cold there, and she's in a tiny outfit. I was going to say, she doesn't wear any like tights or anything. <laughs> she does Does have she? high boots, though. Right. And the, she has this a, part of your thigh yes. gets the coldest if it's not covered. It's true. It's true. She has a little cardigan, yeah. but her like a stomach shrug type dealing. Like what is are you hanging doing? out, and her boobs yeah. are hanging out. She has a hat. Keep the warmth in your head. <laughs> it's where you lose the most heat. <laughs> well, thank God for that. Uh, anyways. So, she doesn't want to be part of the KGB anymore. Doesn't want to live in Russia. It's cold. Probably sick of vodka. Mm-hmm. And, she probably um, likes vodka. She probably drinks it quick. That's <laughs> wrong. I, I assume most Russian. I assume if you're Russian you and just, you, you just drink, drink vodka your vodka like with water. ice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm very impressed with you. Yes, because I'm a little bitch when it comes to that <laughs> shit. <laughs> So he agrees, and they escape Russia together. Then they're back at ISIS, and he brings Katya to meet his mother, Mallory, who, if you don't remember, is the head of ISIS. Mm -hmm. And he basically wants to demand that she makes Katya an agent. So they're in her office, and they're about to bang on Mallory's desk when she walks in on them. Katya ends up being mortified as soon as she finds out that it's Sterling's mother, but... Mm -hmm. Archer, being Archer, just explains that they have fallen madly in love with each other and (laughs) that he wants her to become an agent. He even says that um, he's given up drinking 
even though he does still occasionally drink, even though he doesn't tell Katya because he's afraid that if he quits drinking for good, then the cumulative hangover will literally kill him. Actually, probably true. And you know him and is literally and figuratively, so he's saying literally thinking it will literally kill him. (laughs) Once the rest of the ISIS staff has been introduced to Katya, she immediately starts to stir up suspicion, mostly for Mallory, who never thinks anyone is good enough for her baby boy. Even though she thinks that he is trash also. She also hates him so fucking much. They have that awful mother-daughter, mother-daughter, mother-son relationship. (laughs) That is unhealthy in every single way. Every part of it is terrible, but also hilarious. (laughs) It should never happen to a real person, but since it's fake people, it's it's funny as shit. Her, like, fucking bird that watched him. (laughs) Oh, Okay. I aspire to be you, Mallory. (laughs) And also Lana Kane, because there's always sort of something between them. And Mm. even though they're broken up at the start of the series, whenever either of them have another person, they are kind of mad about it. They're so stupid. They're dumb. Everybody knows that couple. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So they're all suspicious. And then they even, their suspicions even become more intense when she starts paying attention to... Uh, Dr. Krieger and his special project that he is just about to finish. Hmm. So to squash all the suspicion against Katya, Archer has a Bilbo look into her KGB file. Right. However, Bilbo. The, yes. <laughs> However, the KGB file shows Katya to be a double agent in the process of destroying ISIS from within. Mm. This isn't true. What happened was the head of the KGB, also possibly Archer's father, we don't know at this point if he is or not, labeled Katya like this so it would not look like he had failed from Mm -hmm. having one of their best agents deflect. And then he also figured that when they They saw her file, they would take her out so the problem would solve Mm -hmm. itself. Uh, Katya, actually innocent, flees from the ISIS headquarters crying and Archer follows her out and they escape to his apartment. And then Mallory, being dramatic, then declares Archer as a double agent as well. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> this is a person who shouldn't be in charge of literally anything, no. but definitely not anything where somebody gets fucking murdered. Yep. I know, instead of just being like, I'm blacklisting you, you're yeah. a double agent. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> if you're going to be petty, actually fucking do it. Um, so upon arriving in Archer's apartment, Archer and Katya plan to flee to Canada together. Of course, Archer is being the douche that he is, and he's trying to pack all of his overpriced fucking black shirts because they're all in slightly different black. I need all of these black <laughs> turtlenecks. They're all different. <laughs> they're all slightly different. Mm-hmm. But Katya is just trying to be like, can we please escape together? Yeah. Why don't we get can money, and then you yeah. can buy all your yeah. turtlenecks can we again? Do this in Canada? Yes. And so she's off, like, getting the final stuff together. And Archer has a conversation with Woodhouse, his little, like, manservant buddy. Butler. Butler. Yeah. Poor fucking Woodhouse. Yeah. And he ends up giving Archer his grandmother, I believe Archer's grandmother's wedding ring because he wants to propose to Katya. He's an idiot. He's he's a dumb idiot. I mean, I kind of want to propose to Katya, but, like... (laughs) I am also a dumb idiot, so I guess there's that. All right. So, however, at this very moment, the ISIS crew arrives to kill Archer and Katya. A gunfight ensues. However, it ends with everybody running out of ammo and no one getting hit. 
Well. <laughs> Archer takes this moment to propose to Katya, which she does accept. <laughs> the rest of the gang wonder how they could have a wedding on such short notice. But then Krieger reveals that his secret project was actually a dream wedding, which I think was supposed to technically between, be between him and his little anime bride, yeah. but the world wasn't ready. His little waifu. Yep. And they, Not waifu he, yet, I yeah. guess. Fiancu. <laughs> Fiancu, yep. <laughs> and he ends up giving it to Archer and Katya, which is why Katya was so interested mm-hmm. in, in his secret project. Also, imagine going down to see the, like, weird vaguely Nazi scientist and then he's like just work he's just watching like fucking four weddings <laughs> essentially as research yep. and you're like oh this actually works with all the things that I want to do too <laughs> like okay I fucking love Archer <laughs> So, on the balcony of Archer's penthouse, Archer and Katya hold their wedding ceremony. Cheryl Tunt has her hair redone to look like Katya's. <laughs> and Ray <laughs> reveals that he's still a licensed minister and can perform weddings. Bless Ray. They have their wedding, how are they're about to ha- get married, but before they can, the party is crashed by fucking Barry. Barry! Barry Dillon, apparently, is his name. I know. Is it D-I-L-L-O-N? Nope, it's D-Y-L-A-N. Okay. That's slightly less shitty. I don't like D-I-L-L-O-N. <laughs> he after previous, multiple previous incidents with Archer, but the last one where he went to Russia to save Archer, Archer Uh, just let him (laughs) essentially fall and get captured. Just kind of booted him a little bit. Yep. Yep. And uh, (laughs) complained about him taking his silk socks with him. (laughs) Um, But he was converted into a cyborg. Woo. And yeah, we want to remember that not Cyborg Barry. That, that he really hates Archer for lots of different reasons, but that is a whole other story for another time. Longer and stupider. Yes. Barry tries to strangle Archer to death, and Mallory is like, hey, I actually have ammo, and shoots him, but there's no effect, and this is when you realize that Barry is a cyborg. Oops. And so Katya grabs some lace from her wedding dress and wraps it around Garot Barry. Him. He does garrot him. That is a way to put Sick. it. With a fucking ah. Yeah, and jumps off of the balcony from um, on top of the roof or wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Sacrificing herself to save Archer, and they fall on top of Krieger's van. Unfortunately... <laughs> Katya is essentially dead, but it doesn't do anything to Barry because he is a cyborg, but it did successfully stop him from killing Archer for the time being. Hmm. So at least there's that. Sacrifice will not be in vain. (laughs) So this isn't where Katya's story ends. Yay. It's now season three. And after Katya's death, Krieger took her corpse and rebuilt her as a cyborg. <laughs> all Without the, anyone knowing. Literally, it's just all those fucking bonding over wedding videos. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's watched true. a couple videos and probably cried together. And he was <laughs> like, I guess we'll make this useful. Also, I'm a creep and I'm looking for any sort of a corpse. And this one literally fell out my van. So, well, finders keepers? <laughs> you sent, I'm sure he said something like that. Yeah. So, builds her into a cyborg. He then is like, Look what I did! Mm-hmm. And they do run to each other and embrace yes. Katya and Archer. Uh, 
tacit permission to anybody if you find my corpse and want to make me into a cyborg. I'm cool with it. This is my recorded permission, Martha Bartlett, whatever the fuck the date is. February. Five more minutes for of the 9th. <laughs> the end of the 9th of February in 2021. So that night, Archer and Katya do have sex. And then the next day, Katya goes to try to have a job at ISIS. Get it, girl. <laughs> in both cases. <laughs> Katya's changes do cause some rifts in their relationship, like her leaving her detachable vagina in the sink because it was dirty. But so convenient. But eventually Archer is able to look overlook the differences and proposes to her again, to which she again agrees. So... To save on some hardware costs, Krieger bought some of Katya's upgrades from the KGB. And because of this, Barry, who is now the leader of the KGB, Mm. uh, crashes their wedding again to kill Archer. But this time, Katya is a match for Barry. Cyborg fight. They're, yeah, they're both cyborg. So they have a cyborg fight. Mm. And doesn't um, stop Archer from trying to fight anybody, though, because he's a big fucking dum-dum. Big dum-dum. So to to depower both of them, the lights are turned off i don't know have their solar i think something like that there i think there was something mentioned but I, I i don't remember but also like if they are solar that's a bad idea because if you're barry and you're in fucking russia with solar power they're <laughs> yeah, just gonna be dead most of the time something to do with it i i just don't i don't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it is yeah um, that was the thing i just put together <laughs> solar power in russia <laughs> it's cold and cloudy there all the time. It's true. It's very cold there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they turn off the lights. So Archer is wearing infrared goggles <laughs> and he's looking for Barry to finish him off. Mm-hmm. And he ends up finding Barry and Katya just having some cyborg sex. Katya is apologetic, but she tries to explain that they are similar and they understand each mm-hmm. other since, you know, they're both cyborgs. His stuff vibrates. Initially stunned and angry, but Archer eventually con- uh, concedes for Katya's happiness because she seems like she'll be happy that way. And he does care, shockingly. Weird. <laughs> so Katya then leaves with the exceedingly smug Barry. Ew. Um, Gross. Yeah. But Lana does mention how Katya does look happy, making Archer feel like he did do the right thing. Though shortly after, we do see Katya on the bus with Barry, clearly not sure if she made the right choice. Oh, we have one thing in common. Two. Two things in common. What's the other thing? They both almost died, and now they are both cyborgs. Oh, I figure you can probably (laughs) mash all of that into one thing. We both almost died in a mouth cyborgs. They're both blonde. Fuck you. Okay, go home. They both have an obsession with Sterling Archer. That I'll give you. Okay. (laughs) That's the second thing. God, I hate that. So it's not till the end of the season that we see them again. Uh, It seems that Katya still has affection for Archer. So she's been able to be like, hey, please don't kill Archer. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Please. Thanks. Wink. Look at my butt. Pretty hair. Or that. In my removable vagina. It's over there in the sink. I'm cleaning it. 
Which is a good thing. Yeah. And literally, I don't know, if I could remove my vagina, the only problem with that, literally the only problem with that is that if you're out and you forgot it at home and you want to get laid with some random fucking person, that's the one time that's a problem. Every other time somebody tries to rape you and you're like, I left it at home. I don't have a vagina. I'm also, so I'm a cyborg, so I I'm just going to crush your head. Why don't you try and then I'll just literally crush your spine with my leggies. <laughs> All I want. Please make me a cyborg. (laughs) Why isn't this happening to me? Because I'm not a dead body. And I don't know any weird Nazi scientists. Nazi adjacent. No, he's... uh, Nazi adjacent is still just as bad. Yes. And yeah, I think... Punch a Nazi adjacent person. All right. So we don't see them till the end of season three again. And it seems like Katya has been able to calm Barry from his whole wanting to kill Archer thing. But it only lasts for so long because Barry Barry is Barry. Barry is Barry. Um, So the ISIS crew end up needing to go to space for whatever reason. (laughs) And so Katya tries to make Barry swear that he isn't going to space after Archer. He lies and says he has a mission in London. And Katya's like, okay. Excuse me. And then he just hangs up the phone on her. So she knows that he's lying. But, you know, you it little is what bitch. It is. <laughs> and things don't go so well for Barry because he ends up getting stuck in space. Seriously, the worst. <laughs> so now we are on season four, many episodes later. Katya comes back into the picture and she has that head bitch in charge um, energy, which is great. Barry is still stuck in space and Katya, I guess, is missing him. So she uses Isis and Sterling and kind of manipulates them into facilitating Barry's return from outer space. Uh, she fools Archer into thinking that she had no knowledge of Barry's visit to the space station. <laughs> and Fooling uh, Archer, not hard. Yes. Archer does come up with a brilliant plan. <laughs> and it tends to sabotage her relationship by forging a tape that suggests that Barry is cheating on Katya. Oh, yeah. She sees right through the ruse, but is disgusted upon realizing that Barry's trip into outer space was solely just for the purpose of going after Archer. Who so- do you like more? God, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so she confronts Barry on his way home. He's like flying through space back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And he scoffs and reminds her that she's, uh, that he's in charge of the KGB. It's then revealed that Katya is sitting at a large desk in her new head bitch in charge green military uniform, Ugh. feet crossed on the desk, uh. has in fact taken over the agency and is the new head of the KGB. Sorry, your fucking like sweatsuit didn't work for you, Barry, <laughs> you Ugh, stupid Barry. turd. <laughs> The worst. Yeah. And it is the best outfit. (laughs) It's so good. So several weeks later, uh, Katya and Barry are revealed to be behind this disastrous diplomatic dinner at a celebrity chef, Lance Castus, Castells, Castes. There's a whole lot of vowels in his fucking name. Lance. Celebrity chef Lance. (laughs) Restaurant, uh, which completely destroyed U.S. Albanian relations and further tarnished ISIS's already very tarnished reputation. You guys are doing so great. Um, not, that's not super important to what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is that Katya literally just 
throws Lance out of their helicopter when he outlives his useless his usefulness and <laughs> just Barry's about to say something and she just glares at him and he just shuts the fuck up. As he should. We all know who wears the pants and it is Katya, even though she probably doesn't own any pants. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. No. Head bitch in charge. So from what I can find, it I was surprised that I couldn't find a lot. Katya doesn't even have her own Wikipedia. What? Yeah, most of the stuff I got from fandom. I'm shocked. Yeah. So. She's like in it enough. Yeah, enough. So as far as I can tell, she was last seen in season six, which feels like a lot because they're on 12, but they did go down like that whole fucking. That's true. Like drug and island and not doing the spy thing for a long time. So I think they just got back to the spy thing. I have to catch up. Yeah, I'm behind. Season 12? Jesus <laughs> Yeah. So, for, they're gone for a while. When they do come back, you it's revealed that during the time that we haven't seen them, because ISIS was shut down for a little bit, mm. Katya did dump Barry, and she ended up beginning a relationship with that stupid moron, Boris. <laughs> yep. Yay for dumping Barry, but I don't know why they just put her with be Boris. single. Exactly, it's like she's such a badass bitch. Just let her be single. I feel like it's bad writing, and they just wanted to do something with it. Them, is it's and just, it's weird. It's just dumb. Like, why can't she's he just had, be her? Like yeah, just her, under person exactly, which is all he should be. She's fucking. Do they like the make KGB. out? I literally don't remember this, like, which means I, I yeah, probably no, they're like legit, wrote it out of like, my brain. I think legit in a relationship, which is dumb. It's dumb. It's bad writing. She should just be single. She can get whoever the fuck she wants. She's well, ahead of the game. And KGB why would you choose an underling? Exactly. Boris is, and he's gross. He's gross. Like, in general, his mannerisms, how he acts, he's fucking dumb and he's fucking gross. In season two, when we try to find out if, if, um, Nikolai is Archer's father, the reason why the, it comes back inconclusive is because Boris spits on the fucking right. DNA sample. That's just like, what gross he's gross he's just gross i forgot about that <laughs> what a fucking turd yes <laughs> yeah i hate it it makes me mad <laughs> so she does come back for a she just make a brief appearance again after archer and lana start dating again mm-hmm. this is right after lana has archer's baby right i can't remember that baby's name <laughs> Fuck if I know. It's a girl. That's all I know. I do remember that. It's a girl. So the rest of the ISIS group has grown disgusted and jealous of their sickening love and happiness, which I do remember them like being like, and everyone's being like, barf. Yep. (laughs) They hire Katya to seduce Archer in order to sabotage his relationship with Lana. So she agrees and she shows up at Archer's apartment. She seems to do everything she can to seduce him. And while Archer is clearly tempted, he does end up refusing her because he does actually seem to care about his relationship with Lana and the fact that they have a kid now together. So first she's a little shocked and angered, but then she accepts the news and she is um, happy for Archer and they part amicably. And with one final goodbye kiss, she leaves. However, she does, even though she fails seducing Archer, she does manage to fuck up their relationship because she leaves her vagina in the sink, and Lana finds it. You might need that, babe. I'm guessing she has multiple. That's actually And it's kind fair. of like an oops, like, did you, 
accidentally leave your vagina How do you accidentally leave your vagina anywhere? <laughs> like, I guess I can get it if it's your sink, but, like, your ex's sink, you would not accidentally be like, oh, now is the time I need to wash it. <laughs> no. Unacceptable. That doesn't make any sense. Shit. That right. said, would if I just could pop it out and leave and was just wanted to soak for a little bit. I was gonna say it would definitely get left in the sink and I would get like halfway to work and be like, oh no. Woodhouse was giving her tips on how to clean it. I remember. <laughs> and Archer was like, why is there a I don't know what to do sink? with my life? <laughs> Please stop talking about this. <laughs> So this is, as far as I know, like I said, the last we see of Katya. Um, she's a good reoccurring character, and I almost feel like she's someone who humanizes Archer. So other than some poor writing here and there, she's badass, she's a strong woman, and she gets what the fuck she wants. And um, who doesn't just want to fucking push people out of helicopters and not care? For real. That's all I want. Emma Frost and Natasha Romanoff have a baby. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, what no. a power move that would be. <laughs> they are both two head bitches in charge. Two people who would definitely throw you out of a hel- helicopter would throw whenever. you out of a helicopter in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So that is... That's that. <laughs> it's 12.10 at night. Yep. So that's Katya. Yeah, baby. All right, everyone. Rate, review, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also find us on the ESO Network and on Podbean. And we will see you next Tuesday. Oh boy, good lord, this was a mess. (laughs) Let's not do this at dick o'clock anymore. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.